Would you turn with me uh, to 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, and uh, continuing looking at the book of 1 Peter. I know we've been away from it for several weeks, um, but uh, here in the book of 1 Peter, uh, I've entitled this, A Model for Nutritional Growth, A Model for Nutritional Growth. We're going to read the first three verses here uh, in 1 Peter and uh, this really is hailing from uh, the heart of a parent towards their children, if you would think about it. Uh, what is a parent's desire for their child? Would they not want their child to be healthy? Uh, they want a good relationship with their child. They want their child to love them. They also want to see their child grow and mature from adolescence into adulthood. And here in this passage of Scripture, that's exactly what the Apostle Peter is trying to admonish the believers. Uh, Again, the believers are going through great persecution, and they need some admonishment, some encouragement to press on. So the manner in which a child grows is is a process of putting off childishness and putting on the responsibility and the refinement of adulthood, whether you want it or not. That's what it is. We, we need to do. In verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 2, follow along with me as I read, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. There's a lot of things that you and I as believers are to put off from our lives. Our hearts are intrinsically selfish and self-centered. We're driven by a zeal for personal gain, but this is not and ought not to be the character of a child of God. So here is 1 Peter and his admonishment to those who are in the throes of great persecution. And despite the vitriol and the hatred for the Christians in in that area, that region, he's calling these believers to be different. Get past your circumstances and see the goodness of God. It was an interesting study looking at this passage of Scripture and kind of pulling it apart and diagramming it and and looking at it from that. And I saw this uh, illustration here. Faintness of heart, as one uh, person places it here, Spurgeon does. He says, faintness of heart is a common infirmity. Even he who slew Goliath was subject to its attacks. Faith puts its bottle of cordial to the lips of the soul and so prevents fainting. Hope is heaven's balm for present sorrow in this land of the dying. It is our blessedness to be looking and longing for our fair portion in the land of the living. Whence the goodness of God has banished the wickedness of man. And where Holy Spirit's charm with their society, those persecuted saints who were vilified and despised among men. We must believe to see, not see to believe. We must wait the appointed time and stay our soul's hunger with foretastes of the Lord's eternal goodness, which shall soon be our feast and our song. End quotes. Could very well be that these believers are struggling in their faith. They're, going, they're undergoing some, a great persecution, and so they're struggling. There is a propensity during a time of persecution towards a critical spirit, bitterness, and ultimately a sour spirit. But these are attitudes that are antithetical. They are completely against New Testament Christianity. 
they need to, you know, many Christians can put on a front of a zeal for God. But they continue to nurse the wounds from past hurts and fail to grow in their Christian life. They maintain the life, as we'll see here in this passage of Scripture, uh, they maintain the life of a spiritual infant for the Lord. They do not grow. Because they are stuck on verse 1. And just because someone may have been a Christian for many, many years or even decades has no bearing on their spiritual maturity. If a Christian, you or I, are not willing to submit to the Lord's authority and will for our life, we will continue to be infantile adults. And the principle this evening is shake off the vestiges of infancy and mature into spiritual adulthood. This is what God is calling us to do in this passage of Scripture. Let's pray, and we'll dig into this passage of Scripture here. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your grace. And Lord, I thank you for, uh, Lord, the opportunity we have to gather. The Lord, the opportunity to uh, have your word, to read it, to study it, to know it. And Lord, to get what we need for life. What we need to get for just living out our everyday existence. And Father, as I bring forth your holy word again, Lord, I ask that you would remove any of my own thoughts, and may they be yours. Lord, I ask that in our hearts, in my heart, in the heart of those listening, that, Father, we would cast off any infancy of spiritual state and press on into adulthood. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be all that we can be for you. Lord Jesus, I love you and thank you for your grace. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen. The first thing I want to look at here, I was looking at this passage of Scripture and trying to figure it out, and I was looking at the grammar. The verb here that actually is in this, the primary verb here is uh, in verse 2, desire. Now it's in a command of you desire. He doesn't even say you, but it just says desire. So the, the, the emphasis of your main verb in this whole uh, sentence here, it comes of to desire. So my first point is to desire the word. Why do I want to desire it? Well, obviously, as we see here, you want to grow and you want a taste of the graciousness of the Lord. This word desire, there in the Greek, it is an imperative it's an aorist imperative, and it is calling us to an action, to move forward, a state wherein I'm not maintaining my infantile spiritual state. This desire is to have a strong desire for something with an implication of a need. Our daughter, Eliana, when she was an infant, she wanted her food. And if she didn't have it, she would vocalize it through crying. So there is a great desire to long for. But this is where the problem lies for many Christians. There is a greater desire for the things of the world than there is for the things of God. He says, desire the sincere milk of the word. Why? That you may grow thereby. 
So we we have to ask ourselves, do I actually and truly desire the Word of God? In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, it says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So there has to be a birth. An infant's going to cry, yearning for its mother to feed it. Now the best milk is that milk which comes from the mother. In the same way, the best milk for the young believer comes from him who gave the sincere milk in the first place. The sincere milk of the word, God says, and that word sincere there, in fact, it's actually, if you see in verse two, verse 1, excuse me, you'll find the word guile, the very, antith- the very opposite and antonym of the guile here is sincere, guileless, unadulterated, pure, uncontaminated. So that ye may grow thereby, desire the sincere milk, desire an unpolluted, uncontaminated, pure milk of the word. I want you to have the best milk. This is the purest and sole nutrient for a proper growth and maturity. He's telling us it comes from my words, God's word. And just as a mother would feed her child, It was the very word of God and its truths from its pages that converted the soul and birthed a child of God. You're given, you know, how shall they hear, as as Scripture talks about there. And a person hears the word of God and they respond to it. And in response, if they put their faith in Jesus Christ for the soul, uh, for all the forgiveness of their sins, then they are therein birthed into the family of God. But in order to grow from the stage of salvation to the stage of spiritual maturity to where Peter is, it takes a desire for God's Word. Do you realize that it is God's Word that rejoices the heart and soothes the soul? I'd like you to look with me at Psalm 19. Psalm 19, verse 7. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be Altogether, excuse me, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. What is he saying? The word of God, it produces and soothes the soul, it rejoices the heart. But unfortunately, for some believers, Hebrews chapter 5, if you want to turn there, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, what happens in the life of some believers is, you know what, when a child's born, they're going to be infantile. That's where they're at. There's nothing they can do about it. But for a believer and a person who's a Christian to be saved for a lengthy period of time and not progress forward and not leave the state of infancy as a Christian, then there's something wrong. 
Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk, and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. So there's a problem. If a child, when it's born, like if our daughter at three and a half years old, was still crawling around, crying with no words used, we would say there's something wrong. There's something in her developmental process that has been disrupted. There's a handicap. And if she was not advancing in maturity, then we say there's, there's a developmental disability. It could very well be a genetic disorder. But in a spiritual sense, there's only perfection. So, you know what, a child could be born and it could have a genetic disorder. Wherein that child may not progress. But do you realize something as a Christian? There are no genetic disorders in our spiritual birth because a spiritual birth comes from Him who's perfect. There is no defects. It's only perfection when you were born again. So the only reason why there would not be growth is because there is a decision. Your spiritual birth hails from Him who is perfect. So a malnutrition of God's Word produces a self-induced developmental spiritual disability. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, look with me here. It was kind of amazing as I was thinking about it. You, you do think about it, a child is born and, and maybe there are some things that uh, may have some issues like some friends of ours recently when they lost their daughter. Uh, there were some unbeknown, un, uh, unknown things that happened in, the, in that child's life and uh, some real challenges. But when we are born again, there is nothing wrong in that birth. There are no genetic defects. Other, obviously, we understand we still have the sinful nature, but there is no reason why we cannot grow. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? They're not growing. Paul says, I want to give you more. I want to give you more spiritual meat. I want to, I want to help you to grow. And, and that grow there is conditioned on the desire. If there's no desire, there is no growth. When there is a desire for the Word of God, the subsequent result will be spiritual growth. So we expect to grow. As I mentioned earlier, the best, the best milk for a child of today comes from uh, God's Word, and spiritually speaking. 
You know, God's word is still good for mature digestive systems, as is the meat of his word. Now, growth or maintaining growth to adulthood takes nutrients, proper nutrients. If our daughter, if I was only given her the worst, or, or, you know, just malnutrition or just junk food, uh, it's going to impact her body. It's going to impact her cognitive development. It's going to impact her, her physiological development. It will impact her because of what she is dieting on. An improper diet will produce a malnutrition or physical ailments like diabetes, high blood pressure, etc. If there is a feasting on junk food, the body becomes sick or weakly. Maybe not at first, but definitely over time. I watched a, a show one time called Supersize Me. It's been a long time. I don't remember if there's anything bad in it, but it's been a long time. Anyways, the guy, every time he said, I'm going to eat all my meals a day, I think for a month at McDonald's, and every meal, uh, and if they ask him, would you like to supersize it, he, in his rules that he set up on this one month, uh, he had to say yes. He had gained tremendous weight. He, his cholesterol went through the roof. His body, I mean, he was just in, in one month of just eating McDonald's, his, his body went into awful, awful state. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, and we see this kind of same thing. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. My strength for my spiritual growth does not come from a physical means. Now, granted, do I still need to eat physically? Well, yeah, duh, right? Absolutely, we have to eat. But my spiritual growth and my maturity is not conditioned upon a temporal aspect of life. There is no maintenance of strength, I mean, apart from a regular diet of God's Word. In this very same thing, desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow by, verse 3, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So, one lexicon is saying to experience something cognitively or emotionally or come to know something. You've tasted it. You've followed it. If you've tasted it, I, I, I like for Eliana to try different things. I said, as long as you try it, I said, I want you to try it. And there's sometimes she'll say, oh, yuck, yuck, yuck. You know? And I said, well, I want you just to eat this one bite. And sometimes after that one bite, uh, she'll say, hey, can I have more? She's tasted that it's good. But many times a believer would not even get to the place of even tasting of the Word of God. And I'm not talking about just an academic, intellectual aspect. I read it and, and that's it. I'm talking, you eat it, you digest it, and you're like, wow, it does taste good. It helps me feel good. You know, that's the, that word tasted there is the same word in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, speaking about the Lord Jesus, it says, But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste 
death for every man. Jesus literally, physically died. A mother's milk, and speaking of it, a mother's milk is designed to have all of the vitamins the child needs, or it should have, right? I mean, that's in the, the original design. And in the tasting of God's word, the sincere, pure, uncontaminated milk of God's word, I can experience the goodness and the joy of the Lord. But I'll never taste it if I don't partake of his word. For an infant to get the nutrients it needs prior to being able to digest meat and other solid foods, it's going to need milk. That child needs milk. Now, our daughter had some issues with cow milk, so we had to switch to goat milk. But nevertheless, she got milk in the early stages. But in that process, she can't ever get to meat without first having the milk. As a Christian, I need the milk of God's Word, the simple things of God's Word, before I can ever get to any deeper things. Before I can ever taste that the Lord is gracious, I've got to start in the milk. You can't short-circuit maturity in the physical life apart from eating food and drinking water or receiving nutrition for your body. You can't. You can't go from, to, from wherever you're at to being an Olympic athlete without all of the work and all of the dieting and all of the exercise and, and routine and regimen of life to get there to that ex- excellent status. It, you can't short-circuit the way. And it's the same way in the believer's life. And he says, believers, I want you to know that my word is gracious. That the Lord is gracious. He's kind, he's loving, he's benevolent. In Psalm 34, 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blesses the man that trusteth in him. In Ephesians 4.32, we see the same Greek word, but translated differently, and be ye kind one to another. So the word gracious is translated in Ephesians 4.32 as kind. You know what? A picky child will not show all the benefits of trying, will not know, excuse me, will not know all the benefits of trying new foods. Sometimes as a, a little child, you can hear about something like, ooh, gross, <laughs> right? Ooh, I don't want that. But you know what? You miss out on a lot of good food when you stick to such a limited diet. And many times, a picky child will have a palate for junk food. I want my Doritos. I want my hot dog. I want my Coke or Pepsi. I want my ice cream. I want, that's all I want. You try to get them to try something more refined or something of, you know, outside of that very limited uh, palate, limited uh, food, and, and they just said, oh, yuck. But what it does is it deprives them of some, maybe some really, some food that they need. As believers, the command is desire. Because if I do not desire, then verse 1 comes into play in this phrase here. Wherefore, lay aside. If you don't do verses 2 and 3, he's telling us, verse 1, lay aside 
Point number two this evening is deign not the world. The word deign means to condescend to something inferior. Don't stoop for something lesser than what God has for you. Do you realize that in Jesus' wilderness temptations, he would use scripture to combat the devil's temptations? The first was in the sustenance of food. He says, you know, convert the stones into bread. And then he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. That's how Jesus responded, Matthew 4. Then he would talk about giving Jesus great power. And then he says, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Verse 8 through 10, he talked talk to him, you know, go up to a high place, worship me as Satan, I'll, and I'll, you know, I'll give you, you know, I'll show you all the kingdoms of the world and, you know, all these things will I give you if you worship me. Again, Jesus says, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. There's a lot of junk food in our world. In fact, you know, junk food that doesn't, spiritually speaking, that does not come from the fountain of living water. Many of God's children do not realize the value of God's world, word until we hit rock bottom. And you're left there in a situation and circumstances and you're crushed and you're empty and you're hurting and you said, I don't know where to turn. And that's why, because if I've tasted that the Lord is gracious, I'll come back to this and I'll begin to look at it and say, there's something for me in this situation. I can easily become self-sufficient. And though I may be dieting on God's Word and devotions in a ritualistic sense, I can very easily make my devotional time a merely mechanical action. But why does it become mechanical? Because I'm too busy feasting on the junk of the world. I'm feasting on other things, giving in to my lusts over here. I'm failing to gain the pure word of God for my necessary food. And these scattered believers of the Apostle Peter's day, and of believers today, there must be a realization that I need to desire this pure, uncontaminated milk of the word. You know what? We have a wicked heart that quickly runs. Through a steady diet of biblical preaching and personal meditation on God's Word, we can grow. We have a privilege to grow. You know, apart from Jesus Christ, I'm a mess. And so are you. In John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Let me ask you some questions here. Do you see struggles and challenges at work? Do you see conflict with other family or friends? Do you find yourself feeling empty? If I find myself feeling empty, there's, some, there's a problem in my life, and the problem is I'm not satisfied with the milk of the Word. I'm not satisfied with God tasting that He is gracious. There is something else in my life that I'm feasting on but it's failing to give me what I need. So the Apostle Peter, he says, if you want to advance, here's how you do it. He gives a command here in this, it's kind of a, it's a participle. 
and it's put in the middle voice, which is, again, an appeal to one's will, to your choices, to your conscience, whether you make the decision to do this or not. Lay aside to stop being a spectator and become a contestant. Do you realize the same laying aside, it is the, the implications of it. You remember when Stephen and they lay their garments upon Saul, who would eventually become the Apostle Paul. They laid their garments. He's saying, lay off these particular traits. There must be an engagement of your will. So God is calling us to engage our will and willfully submit to a desire for His Word. You know, in our daughter, when she was little, or even us when we were little, we had to make a choice. You know, we would cry because we're hungry. I don't remember it. But but you cry, and you have to open your mouth to put the bottle in to receive the nutrients that you need. There's a choice. I'm drinking of the nutrition. In the same way, I must willfully open my heart to receive the pure, uncontaminated milk of the Word to grow. So it's a choice of your will. In Ephesians 4.22, we see this, that you put off concerning the former conversation, which is corrupt, uh, put off the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the seedful lust. So there's a negligence here, If I don't, if I'm feasting on the world, this is going to be evident in my life. John 14, 24, Jesus tells us, He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. And what Jesus is calling them to do, again, lay aside these next few traits. We need to reflect on what is at stake in our life if I don't put these aside. And the the placement here, as this is in Scripture first, in verse 1, there is no growth if I don't complete the process of laying aside. I can desire, but if that desire is not for God's Word, and it's seated in verse 1 of chapter 2, there will be no growth. So I must consider in my life, look with me at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. There must be a personal choice to consider what is at stake in your life. Verses 1 and 2 of Hebrews are my favorite verses in the Bible, and they were a real encouragement to me at some hard days in my life, but verse 1 of Hebrews 12 Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. There is a consideration. I don't, if you're running a race, you don't want to put extra weight on. I mean, you're not going to be getting steel toe boots to run a marathon in. You're not going to get a steel toe boots to run a race in. I mean, some might, but you're not normally, if you're going to run a race, you want to be as light as possible. And we must consider the direction of our lives and what I am digesting. 
It's easy to not consider an anemic state, sit idly by while I'm continuing to hold on to things potentially of verse 1. In idleness on my behalf or yours, it leads to sickness. It ultimately leads to a subsequent fruit of the flesh. The first thing that we see here to lay aside is malice. The word malice is a mean spirit or vicious attitude or disposition and ill will. But Jesus tells us, put it away, lay it aside. That word malice is also translated as a word naughtiness in James 1.21. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. And receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Again, the word of God is able to save your souls. The word of God is able to help you grow. 2 Peter 2.2. 2. 1 Peter 2.2, 2, excuse me. So that word superfluity of naughtiness in fact means an abundance of malice. And one David Sorensen says, James is touching upon what evidently was a problem in his readers, a proclivity, an inclination, a tendency to anger, temper, and malice. He enjoins them to put it away. He's saying, put away all malice. You can't have a quick reaction to anger and be growing spiritually. You can't do it. He tells us the second thing here is the word guile. And this is ultimately the word deceit. To take advantage through craft and underhanded methods, cunning or treachery. I like one lexicon that says, strictly bait for fish. You're desiring to make your bait something of enticement to a fish to bite it so you can hook it and bring it in and eat it. This would be a classic pragmatist who will do what is necessary to achieve or maintain their lusts. I'll do whatever I need as long as I can stay comfortable. And he's telling the believers, don't do it. Remember, if they're under persecution, they're going to want to protect themselves. So do I work in deceit to protect myself? Do I go against some clear scriptural principles to protect myself? Or do I maintain my integrity and risk my life? And he's saying here, maintain your standards for Christ. The third one we see here is hypocrisies. Playing a stage role. Literally, in a negative sense, it's to create a public impression that is, a, that is at odds with one's real purposes or motivations. Translated, as, and it's also, tra- the word hypocrisy is also translated as dissimulation in other scriptures. That same Greek word is translated dissimulation or hypocrisy in the scriptures. But ultimately, what it is in Matthew 23, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. He's saying, listen, you sure look like a good religious person, but I really know what's going on inside.
Luke chapter 12, verse 1, the same idea. They're religiously arrogant to portray a facade of holiness. You can't do that. You've got to be who you are in Christ. Don't put on a mask. Don't be one way to one group and another way to another group. You see, religiously vain piety can drag people away with a feeling of righteousness before God. Someone might say, you know, that church, they don't have it right. Uh, uh, they, don't, you know, uh, they don't have a problem with people wearing glasses. I'm just using a silly illustration, but <clears throat> you know, there are things that can easily, well, you know, we're going to stay holy, so we're not going to wear those you know, wire-rimmed glasses or worldly, so we're not going to wear those. I don't have any issue with them, okay? I'm just using an illustration here. This is only for illustration purposes, but you know, and so you try to say, well, I, I'm going to, and they're going into an areas that maybe God doesn't speak about. And what happens is you begin to thumb your nose down at anything that does not directly align with God's word as you see it, and you begin to drag other people down in your self-induced hypocrisy. It says in James chapter 5, verse 12, But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea, and your nay, nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. But what is the outcome of hypocrisy? Look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 4. We'll come back here. 1 Timothy chapter 4, what is the outcome of hypocrisy? Verse 1 of 1 Timothy 4. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. These churches that would have on the image of holiness as their desired aim, but their practical living is anything but holy. And it will lead many, many people away. The next thing we see here is envies. This is a state of ill will towards someone with either a real or a presumed advantage over you. You know, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 15, some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The apostle Paul would have people that were condemning him, adding to his pain, adding to his suffering, because they were envious of the advantage of the popularity of the apostle Paul, not understanding that apostle Paul had God's power on his life. There is an inclination in your spirit and mind to envy others. Some more than others may have this. But he's saying, put it away. If you're envying, you will not grow. And last of all, and put, laying aside all evil speakings. And that word evil speaking is to speak ill of another, slander, defame, it's also translated in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20. I'll, tell, I'll read this verse for you. 
<laughs> For I fear, lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I would, and that I shall be found in you such as ye would not. Lest there be debates, envyings, wrath, strifes, backbitings. The word evil speakings here is also translated backbitings. Whisperings, swellings, and tumults. So you cannot, look with me at First John chapter 2, verse 10. You cannot have a sincere desire for God's word and be involved in evil speaking at the same time. You can't do it. You won't grow. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 10, the Bible clearly tells us, <clears throat> verse 10 of 1 John 2, He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brothers in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. You cannot have evil speaking in a life and be a growing Christian. You won't have it. You won't grow. So what is the result of all of this which I am personally responsible to lay aside? If I do not lay it aside, number one, I will not grow. Number two, I will not experience victory in my life. Number three, there will be an increase in conflict and disunity around my life. Increased drama, if you want to say it that way. And ultimately, number four, I will refuse to know the Lord better. In James chapter 1, verse 6 through 8, your life will be unstable and you will yearn for peace but you won't find it. It says in James 1, 6-8, But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You cannot have a sincere desire for the milk of God's word and be growing if you haven't laid number, verse 1 apart, laid aside. You won't grow. That's clearly what the words say in here. Now, this message in conclusion may sound simple and elementary. And many of us know this on a theological level. But the challenges in the application where our head knowledge doesn't match our heart knowledge. Truth not applied is ultimately is rejected. If you're not applying truth you're rejecting it. It's a choice. If you don't want the milk of sustenance and growth, you're rejecting it. Truth rejected is a rejection of the source of truth. So each Christian determines whether they want to stay as a handicapped child of God or as one who is growing. That's a personal choice. Your refusal or acceptance of the truths in these verses will determine your level of spiritual growth. You're you're in charge of your growth, either through your submission of your will to the authority of God and His Word or your rejection of it. And so the persecuted believers of Peter's day 
They need a simple reminder. Focus upon God's Word. Submit your will today to lay aside that which enslaves you and be passionate in your desire for God's pure and refreshing Word. Desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. That is the command and the admonition of this passage of Scripture. But that's a choice. A command. God won't force you to be desirant. Now there's consequences. But a command is ultimately whether I'm willing to yield and submit my will to the command of another. And so, here is a model for nutritional growth in our spiritual lives. If you want to stay as an infant, simply don't do anything. Cling to verse 1. But if you want to grow, then you must advance to lay aside verse 1 to get to verse 2 and sincerely, purely, without contamination, desire the sincere milk of the Word. And the promise is, you'll grow. So as we come to the time of invitation here, I just want to challenge your hearts. You know, what is your desire ultimately for God's Word? In the situations of life where something may come up, verse, in verse 1, any of those attitudes that may uh, evidence themselves in your life or in my life, how do I respond to it? How do I deal with it? Uh, as we saw that the Lord Jesus Christ would take Scripture to fight spiritual battles. And that ought to be what our responses as well. And so in quietness tonight with no music playing, I just want to challenge you uh, before you and the Lord there in your seat, just really come to the Lord and say, God, have I done verse, am I an infant? Am I growing? Lord, if I'm not growing, uh, Lord, would you show me why? What is it in my life that is preventing me from growing in my spiritual life for the Lord? So with heads bowed and eyes closed, I just give you a time of quietness between you and the Lord to just pray and talk to God. When you're done praying, feel free to look up. I'll conclude in prayer and we'll conclude for the evening. So let's all pray.
Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you for just the challenge. God, you, Lord, you know that we are very fickle. Uh, and Lord, you've given us the very ingredients for proper nutrition. Uh, you've given us the things that we need to mature in our relationship with you, but also mature in our relationships with others. Because ultimately, as I spiritually grow, it will also be evidenced in other areas of life, relationally with others. Father, I pray that we would lay aside those of verse 1 to progress to growth and of tasting that you're good and gracious. Verse 3, Lord, I pray in my life that you would help me, Lord, to continue to desire to make the choice to submit my will to desire your word. The pure word, the uncontaminated word, and that which is best for me. Father, I love you and I thank you for being an amazing Savior, a wonderful Father. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, I pray. 